Welcome to Fifth House. Five for tradition and death to the dead. The heart of the Emperor, the watches over the river. The Fifth House is the core of the Empire, especially if you listen to them tell it. With myriad years of tradition behind them, they've become a superpower whose gravity threatens to subsume any house that falters. Necromantic Scion, Lady Abigail Pent of Coney Ortis Court. Cavalier Primary, Sir Magnus Queen of Coney Ortis Court. House Colors, Brown Primary, Gold Secondary. Strengths, Tradition, History and Cohesion make the Fifth House an unshakable monolith. Weaknesses. Fifth culture has become stagnant and complacent after centuries of dominance. They can no longer adapt nimbly to new threats. Necromantic specialty? Fifth necromancers are the foremost spirit magicians, unparalleled when it comes to speaking to the dead. Welcome, book fiends, to the Unlocked Tomb podcast, presented by Wicked Good Books, a reread podcast centered around their Locked Tomb series by Tam Samir. I'm your host, Nick. Joined here with my necro bestie, Emily. Hello. On today's special house interlude episode, we're going to be talking about the fifth house. You know, our favorite, our favorite elderly necromancer and cavalier. They're not elderly. They're <laughs> Gideon definitely calls them elderly. <laughs> I think she's being hyperbolic. I think to her, she? I know, but that's hilarious to me. I definitely <laughs> imagine them as older and they're just in their mid to late 30s. I exactly they're, they're like the they're like the me and Amy of <laughs> yes of Canaan House they're literally the mom and dad of Canaan House which is totally vibe I get from their characters oh my gosh that's so true you're so right they are you are Magnus Quinn oh now I, I'm never gonna unsee it. no no <laughs> okay Amy with her glasses though and her like how she questions people but she's always questioning insightfully to like show you something about yourself she's super <laughs> she's super abigail i'm gonna tell her i'm gonna tell her i'm gonna call lady pent from now on yeah like she'll ask you questions but really <laughs> she's asking you questions so you can discover something about who you are and she's like she sees it in you and she's just helping guide you there <laughs> i love that that's your like <laughs> your read on amy <laughs> I, I feel like she's yeah she's like done it to me so many times <laughs> she is definitely the abigail pent uh of the story and i love that so now that we're done it's talking okay. about my you wife you can be babs you can be babs <laughs> no oh god sorry okay Nima, we have but... derailed we have derailed okay i'm sorry get back back on we track are, back we are in track. the river we are in the river with this podcast <laughs> no i i love it um I, th- I think I'm probably I got Magnus outwardly, but I'm like deep down inside, probably like a, just a hardcore mixture of Ianthe and uh, and Gideon. Although I do relate a lot to Palamides too, um, just with his like hunger for knowledge and for old things and for archaic and dead languages and dying worlds. That's my jam. But uh, for now, I'll accept the Magnus Quinn comparison. But now that we're done comparing my wife and I to the fifth house, (laughs) let's talk about the heart of the emperor, the watchers over the river. Now, this is a house that is at the core of the empire. The fifth house is the central planet in this solar system orbiting Dominicus. And we'll talk more about what that means in season two of the podcast, where we're going to do kind of a a part two to each of these interludes where we get to give a little more information 
away about these houses. But talking about uh, this house, before I go into their specialty, I think this time around, I kind of want to start with what we know because we, we don't get to spend a lot of time with them in getting the knife. And now we won't talk about too much spoilers or anything like that because I do want people to consume this as they're reading. But I also feel like if you're coming to the fifth house in the podcast, you have already made it through these chapters because this episode comes out later in our season. But to in, in case you just started you know, saying, you know what, I'm going to listen to all the interlude episodes before I read the book for whatever reason, we'll try to keep it spoiler-free. So with what we know about Sir Magnus Quinn and uh, Lady Abigail Pent, husband and wife of the Coniortos Court. Now, Emily, you pronounced it way more concisely than I did earlier. Just like Coniortos, I think we say it the same. I mean, you said it. It sounded. I don't know. It sounded better when you said it. <laughs> you know, this is the the big mom energy and big dad energy of the group of Canaan House. Pro- not just because of their personalities, but because they are the oldest ones in Canaan House. When we have all the Necros together, with the exception of Teacher, obviously, but um, you know. Yeah, because he's like ancient. Ancient, truly ancient in every sense of the word, and. Talking about, like, the strengths, right, for this house. Uh, tradition, history, cohesion, make the fifth house an unshakable monolith. And I love that because when you think of family and you think of the spine of the family or, like, the head of a house, whether it be the mom, the dad, or the grandparents, those are kind of the same strengths, right? Like, when I think of grandparents, I think of tradition. I think of history. Yeah. You definitely get those vibes from Abigail and Magnus as well, which I didn't realize on the first read through. Similarly to the other houses, I didn't read the cohort files in the back or the appendices because I listened to it on audio and they don't have that in the audio. But on reread and looking back, you see how Muir used that, like, you know, to use them and their personalities and kind of molded their personalities to specifically represent that monolithic traditional like generational i don't know representation i don't know the word for that yeah i could they're similar to the sixth house who kind of are the 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 literal wardens the protectors uh, the custodians of prior knowledge and history whereas the fifth house it's more about yes history and tradition but bringing forth those traditions into the now into the, the, they're still practicing these things now as opposed to just kind of safeguarding them for whatever yeah, the future. six are definitely preservationists yeah and the fifth are very much like more like societal traditions than just locking away all the knowledge and guarding it and i think i don't i, I don't want to say this makes them the weakest of the nine houses because i don't think they're weak although it does seem like they are i think stagnant is a better word because they're content with tradition and remembering their history and, and sort of like uh, being uh, not the cartographers. That's not the right word. They're like the scribes or the uh, the biographers of this time period of the resurrection from resurrection onwards. But they also have a fascination. They also have a fascination in pre-resurrection uh, history, too. And I feel like they're kind of like the writers like if the sixth house is the custodians of the librarians or sorry, if the sixth house is the librarians of the nine houses, then the fifth house are like the writers 
of the bibliographers. Right, exactly. Like they are the historians who are writing all the stuff that's going to go into the library. And I think a lot of that is not necessarily weakness, but in pitting them against the other houses' abilities and other what the other houses stand for, it makes them kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not subjective. No, that's not the right word. Um, uh, Submissive? Like, no, like not sensitive, but like an easy target. Um, Gullible? No. Susceptible. Vulnerable. It, it makes their house vulnerable to the other houses because th- they're focused on recording history and practicing tradition. And that makes them, I don't want to say a peace-faring house, but they're less interested in trying to kill things and learning how to do it well and more interested in uh, preserving historical context for the, you know, or, or preserving history for the past and present, but also creating new and old traditions for these houses to practice and kind of keep everyone together. They're kind of the spine. They really are the grandparents of these houses. And you'd think that would be their first house's job, but I love that it falls to the fifth house. Um, and in talking about their, their necrom- necromancer and their cavalier, we got husband and wife, Lady Abigail Penn and Sir Magnus Quinn. And these two characters that are just kind of feel like a warm hug when you meet them. And they just want to like everyone to get along and like make snacks and just be like, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have this, like my wife's and I's anniversary. So we're going to have this dinner and try to like, you know, ease the tension, you know, but in the room so everyone can kind of get along. They're the first ones that make the attempt to, to remedy a solution to what's happening in Canaan house. Cause in Canaan house, they are, they are quite sure they're supposed to be working against each other. And we know that's not the case. And Magnus and Abigail, are the first ones to be like, let's all work together. Yeah. They're almost like the trope of the professor who has like a cultish following or they invite all their students to their house for like a potluck or something. And they are like the bestowers of knowledge, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you ever had those professors in college, but they'd be like, oh, we're having a dinner party at my house. It's just kind of like that dark academia, but the other side of it. Yeah. Where, you know, whereas the sixth house, we were talking about it for the past episode, that they're kind of the guardians of the knowledge. But it's almost that Magnus and Abigail especially Abigail specifically are like the historians themselves. And they're so caught up in the research and the like discovering, like pawing through the old histories that they aren't, like you said, they seem a little more vulnerable because they're not on guard, right? They're Mm -hmm. just so caught up in what they're studying and their love for history and the knowledge of the past that they're not like really in the now. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, that makes them a little more vulnerable. I, I love that. and it, But it also makes them not a threat either. And I think that's... There's Correct. Some, they're both vulnerable, but not a threat. And I think that makes it so they they don't have to defend themselves too. Or yeah, worry that's about that it. warm hug. Yeah. That's that warm I hug. I mean, Magnus is out of shape and he's not a very good cavalier. So he is... He never really was, to be no, fair. No, <laughs> at all. But I like that they have that relationship with... Um, with um, Jean-Marie? Yes, fourth house. And um, Isaac? Yeah. I-, I love that they have that, like, parental, you know, uh, guardian vibe over that house. And because they're uh, not a threat, 
and because Magnus is sort of just kind of, I don't, I don't want to say he's let himself go because he's not out of shape. He just learned being a cavalier because that was the tradition, but not the, he didn't learn the practice of it. Like how this is going to be effective in an actual combat situation or in a electoral trial. So, but then there's Abigail who is just like this total nerd for history such a nerd nerd and i love it i love her so much for it she reminds me so much of me a little bit and a little bit amy with like just loving recipes and historic like learning your family's history and like it's like matt not what do they call that um ancestry.com type stuff like yes she's she would definitely abigail pent would definitely do ancestry.com um but she's obsessed with writing her book and like getting all this information and she wants to work with the sixth house, but they're like super closed off with their, uh, their library because of not wanting, you know, their precious artifacts to be damaged. But it's almost like this catch 22. Cause if you're keeping it, like, what are you keeping it safe for? If not to be learned from or to glean anything from it. And that's sort of where Abigail sort of where she kind of comes from her struggle. But she does it in such an unassuming way. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't insult them for it or come at them harshly. She just is kind of like, oh, I wish I wish y'all would share your information with me. Like- yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's not even really barbed when she makes that comment. Towards, not at all. She's like, you know, I'm doing this anyways. I'm writing this document anyways with or without your research. But man, it would be a lot easier if I had it. And I, I love that about her character. Yeah, and I think specifically for Gideon Magnus we see is the first human being who ever just approaches her with just flat out friendliness yeah kindness not even like hey I specifically like you just hey I'm gonna treat you with respect as a person like treat her as a person with and and with a friendly face and that really really affects Gideon to her like her core it's it's I don't know if it's the first time in Gideon we see her her ideals kind of shaken up but it's one of the it's one of if not the first person to extend actual genuine kindness to her and as the readers we're reading a book about necromancers and everyone seems pretty cutthroat out the gate in the first couple chapters on the ninth house so we're like no fuck this guy like he's he's definitely Ulterior, he's got ulterior motives. There's no way he's this nice. And then very quickly you learn that like he's like I don't even want to compete with anybody. I'm just here to like help my wife get through this and see where we go. And and what we learn by the end of the story, like I can't even imagine had they had their story progressed in a certain way. I I can't imagine how that would have what the result of that would have been. And we can't even talk about them that much uh, without spoilers. And we'll get more into that in season two. But before I slip up and say something stupid, let's talk about necromantic specialties of the fifth house. Without trying to give spoilers and kind of just cutting ourselves off from gushing a little too much, we're going to kind of talk about the specifics of the necromantic specialty for the fifth house, which, you know, I say this probably for everyone, but I think the fifth house is one of my favorites, which is that Abigail is a speaker to the dead which is a really fascinating concept. Of course, we think that of the whole lock tomb, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, And she is really, really powerful at it. So it's alluded in the story. This doesn't give spoilers, but it's definitely alluded to or specifically said that she doesn't need very much 
connection to the spirit to call them forth and speak to them, mm-hmm. which with how little magic specifics we get from Tamsin, like we don't get a lot of specific world building, like these are the rules of the magic that definitely is well established in the world to be very powerful. It's one of the necromantic powers that I was expecting, having knowing a little bit about necromancy from just RPGs and video games and other books I've read. It's one of the specialties I was most looking forward to, to see which house it would be have been delegated to or which house would have it featured. I did not expect it to be these two characters having such a powerful and profound but kind of disturbing gift in a specialty. Um, at least with Abigail, and the fact that it's the the writer's house, like it's the house that is all about tradition and history and documenting that. I love that. Like, there's something to be said about how writing and 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 tradition and history has a sense of uh, an afterlife to it. has a has a ghostly feel to it, like you know the ghosts of our past type deal. But I, I think it's appropriate. Like you said, you didn't necessarily expect it to be them, but who better than a humble, genuine person to approach you and say, I'm interested in hearing your story. Absolutely. And that's what they are, right? They are that they just come at you with such humbleness and they're just so genuine and like so focused on just getting the story and learning that who better to entice spirits to come back and talk? Absolutely. I mean, it it feels more like The Conjuring where these people are practiced with it, you know, the couple from that movie versus Sixth Sense where the, the kid is terrified. It's like a new power. Right. And granted, I never thought that these people would be terrified of it. But if Abigail was more of like a snarky or a, a, a fidgety character, one of those two options for like what I what you'd expect, I, I don't think it would have worked out so good. And like you said, I love the idea that it's that warm of a person that genuine and kind of a person that would be the one speaking to the dead that's that that is the type of person that ghosts would want to communicate to not a volatile person and not certainly not an afraid person or someone who was afraid um yeah or someone forceful who was forcing them to come back yeah i think that's so cool and what a cool power to have in this world yeah yeah totally We, we can bring back the dead but so far it's it's more like reanimating them we're not bringing back that person from the dead per se, we're bringing back their body reanimated to a degree and we're starting and and some of them have, I feel like uh, the eighth house has the ability to bring back the spirit because they, they deal with the soul a little more, but it's, it's cool to think about the soul or the spirit or the ghost or whatever you want to label it being out there as we know later, we'll just say in the river and that'll be as vague as I'll go. It's cool that, Abigail can speak to them through an object that they've come into contact with, or that means a lot to them. I think that's really like interesting and pretty typical for seances and, and stories where they speak with the dead, but it, it carries so much more weight in Lock Tomb to me because it's up against and next to all these incredibly powerful, dark and twisted necromantic specialties. And then you have this one, which is, that's extremely simple, yet extremely useful in the situations they find themselves in. Yeah, and it's almost like when you juxtapose them, the others seem like they're using it to a purpose, to for their own reasons. But it's almost like the fifth house 
Abigail specifically being able to speak to the dead, she's more doing it for them almost. Like she does gain something from it, right? Mm -hmm. She's very interested in histories and learning, but she also has this kind of genuine aside outside of herself interest. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's cool. Like, that she's going to glean all this, not just stories of how did you die? Who killed you? Who's your murderer? But also like, what was your family tradition? What was this piece of in, you know info from the past that I could, you know, extract from your spirit and either put in a book somewhere or just apply to the next adventure or the next ghost I speak to. That's, that's really profound for a, an ability that kind of just is a one trick. Usually it's a run trick pony where it's like, we need to find out what room we're going into or what's in the next room. Let's get this ghost up and we'll talk to them and they'll give us some pointers. And it, it, it works in some stories, but I like that the, the house responsible for tradition and history and a character who's so obsessed with documenting that for like to leave behind a record of it. Um, not necessarily for fame. I don't think Abigail's interested in fame, although I think... I guess she sort of is, but not like in a way that like Ianthe and Corona Beth would be all about fame. I think she's more about like uh, the accolade behind it, you know, to be to be remembered as someone who documented this information and wrote this historical text. Um, and I kind of love that that nerdy historianness of her. I think that's just a cool character trait for her. Uh, a character to have in such a dark world that Mira has written here. I agree. Okay, so let's see what Judith Deuteris knew about the fifth house going in. And I will say, leading into the cohort files, if you pay attention, especially across all of our house interludes, the tone and the reverence with which she describes and um, talks about Abigail, like the fifth house, specifically Abigail, is very different than the other houses she has quite a bit of you can see it i think as i read through you'll notice the kind of reverent tone that she has for them which i so, love too because we, we, we established that you know the fifth house is not susceptible like the pillar they're the pillar but they're probably the, the most open to talk right like you said potluck earlier and i thought that's, that's super accurate that describes them so well like hey can we like I want to come over and interview you for this project. Like, yeah, sure. I'll put a pot of coffee on and do, we'll I'll get some, I'll cook you dinner. Come on in stay the night. Like they're like that happy neighbor um, in a world that shouldn't have happy neighbors, but go ahead. Okay. So here we go. The fifth house, Lady Abigail Pint. Age 37. Abigail Pint, born at Coniartos court. First of two. The famous historian, she received head of house five years ago, at which point her husband became her cavalier. Due to genetic failure of their chromosomes, her younger brother's children will become the next scions unless she names a different heir. Has studied on the fifth, the third, the sixth, and the eight houses. Possesses a slew of first-class degrees. Her necromancy is generalist with status as speaker to the dead, but she has published 10 books, 86 articles, and gives instruction as well as taking on the duties of the fifth house leader. How devoted Abigail Pent really is to the leadership role is questionable, but she has more than maintained the fifth's interests in the fourth house. A formidable mind, a living asset, and undoubtedly future generations will look at her as one of the great historians of the nine houses. No cohort placement ever sought and Pence's sentiments have veered at times to anti-cohort. 
as her grandfather was the previous admiral of the Undying Fleet, where this sentiment came from is to be investigated. Notes. To keep close watch on. Pence's martial and necromantic presence is poor, but her cultural capital is high. If Pence became a lictor, it might be problematic. Next is Sir Magnus Quinn, age 38. Magnus Quinn, born on Rax, first of three, an administrator, only received cavalier training in his school days, never receiving a ranking or indeed ever distinguishing himself in the field. A much more capable civil servant, he reached senescial status at Coniorch's court shortly before marrying Abigail Pence. Cohort placement was briefly sought when he was 18 before it was rejected in-house, but no interest afterward. Notes. Quinn is Cavalier Primary simply by unhappy coincidence. The fifth house is undoubtedly chagrined at the timing. His offhand style is the dagger, but Quinn remains a schoolboy fighter. Marriage with Pent and the subsequent cavaliership seems to be entirely due to Pent's informal abdication of the future role. Some suggestion she will announce her brother as heir and step down in the mid-future. Quinn himself is a fifth house bureaucrat with all that entails. Ooh, I don't know. I struggle with that for some reason. This is, I mean, there's some pretty connotorious freaking chords, a tongue twister, so good for you. And good and initial status at Coniartor's court <laughs> shortly. <laughs> See? Well done. I would have not read that <laughs> as concise as you did. I would have not articulated as well as you did. All so. my, like, shivs and stuff were like, <laughs> shul, shul. <laughs> Okay, you should maybe reread that yourself and, and dub yourself in. Heck no. I don't know if I, I'm super proud. I, I, I will cut out all the ooms and ums and shivs out of there. Yeah, and no okay. <laughs> Um, fair, fair. But I think we'll wrap there because there's not much else we can talk about them without me by accidentally slipping into spoiler territory with the fifth house. But they're a really cool house. There's a lot of amazing art of Abigail and Magnus that is very different. Like they, they look, they're, they're older than the other necromancers, but I've seen like three different versions of them. The, the, how people see it and I can't decide which one I like more I, I kind of like them all I feel like personally they are the most controversial art pieces I have seen like all of the Jean Marie's and the Corona Beths and the Anthes and everybody have have looked like them to me like Palamides and Cam but whenever I see Abigail and Magnus I'm like ah, I don't know I don't really see them that way which that's funny kind of funny I wonder why yeah I mean it's almost like we see our own, and I hate saying grandparents, especially seeing that they're only 38 and 37. Which, they're only like, I'll 38. Be, I'll be 34 in a couple of days. So that's like, am I, what is it, uh, am I elderly? I mean, I won't say Amy's age, but <laughs> she's on par with Abigail I, and Magnus I, without I, explicitly <laughs> saying ages. Oh man, her birthday was yesterday. Like as of two days ago. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell her. You was said it that. yesterday already? Oh yeah, you're right. It was just yesterday. It sure was. And, uh, and tomorrow is my birthday, your birthday. And I'm very And then after that, it's your birthday. It's like boom, boom, boom. I love it. Uh, Gemini season. Can you imagine if Kyle was the ninth? Oh my God. I would love to be born on the ninth. Oh my what God. What if my birthday was six, nine? I would be the sixth house and the ninth house. The dream. The dream. Oh my God. <laughs> I missed out. So. Okay. Sorry. Side, I, we sidetracked again. I would love to hear in the comments. I'll probably put a poll up too for how you guys imagine, uh, 
Abigail and Magnus. And like I was saying before, it's almost like we see our own grandparents or our own uncles and aunts, like our, our, our not necessarily father and mother figures, but like the the guardians we look up to in our, in our own homes, in our own lives. I would be interested to see what people say in the comments, like their thoughts. Absolutely. How did you guys feel about Abigail and Magnus? And how did you imagine them? And that's what we'll wrap up today's interlude episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, we are super grateful for the support. We hear you guys and we're loving it. We love making this show for you and look forward to making more episodes as we round out season one of the Unlocked Tomb podcast and get closer and closer to the first house, which is going to be very interesting from a Gideon the Ninth standpoint. But that's for all of you guys. Thank you so much. Be kind and stay wicked.